Hello, Parkview. How we doing? Good. Good to see you today. Yeah. Glad you made the choice to be here this weekend. Want to welcome everybody on all the campuses around New Lenox, uh, Homer Glen, everybody around Orland Park, everybody online. And uh, I know we have Facebook Live folks uh, joining in today uh, as well. It's going to be a great day of study as we are in week number two of this series, At the Cross. And uh, to get us all headed in the same direction today as we start the study, I've got three names up here, and these are the most popular boy names from last year. The most popular boy names in 2017. And here's what I want us to do. When I count to three in just a big, bold voice, I want you to vote which one you think was the most popular name last year. When I count to three, all around, all campuses, big voice, you say which one you think was the most popular. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Exactly. Yes. I think we're a little bit confused. If you said Jackson, then you are uh, correct. You get uh, extra cabbage this weekend on uh, St. Patty's weekend, so congratulations on that. Now, let's go back about 2,000 years, rewind. These are some of the most popular boy names from that first century 2,000 years ago. And again, same way, I want you on the count of three to say the name of the person you believe we're going to study today. The person we're going to dive in and study today. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. All right. If you said Judas, uh, then you are correct. We're going to dive in and spend some time with Judas uh, today in our study. And this was actually a really popular name, uh, largely because of this guy named Judas Maccabees. And he led this revolt. He was a military guy back about 167 B.C., So about 160 years before Jesus was on this earth, uh, he led this revolt, and it was a—he's an incredible warrior, kind of like Gideon uh, or David or Joshua or something like that. So a lot of moms would name their boy uh, Judas. Now, not a lot of people use that name anymore, right? Uh, Not a lot of moms name their kid Judas. I doubt if any of you have. Uh, there's no young mom, I don't think, that dreams of the day when they can hold their baby up and say, look, everybody, it's Judas, right? Look at this little thief. Isn't he beautiful? I mean, isn't this little traitor precious? I mean, oh, he's just so cute. We're so blessed. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think all of us, whether we've been around church for a lot of our lives or just a little bit, we, we know a lot about Judas. We feel like that he was greedy And he betrayed Jesus, and he took his own life. I think a lot of us probably kind of feel like we know all there is to know about Judas. But here's what I've discovered. Over the last several years of studying the Bible and studying the life of Judas, I've discovered there's some ways that I personally am a lot like Judas. And my guess is that there's a little Judas in all of us. I think we're going to discover that uh, this weekend. We're going to spend the next little bit at the cross with Judas. And it's going to be kind of a unique study, a unique message. Maybe you've never heard something just like this on the life of Judas. We're going to walk with him, and we're going to look at three different areas in Judas' life. And we're going to learn things from those three sections of his life and apply those to our lives today as we go out into a new week in the Easter season. So if you're taking notes, here's the first scene and the first thing I want us to learn from the life of Judas, and that is at the cross, 
by invitation. In this section of the story, Jesus is about 30 years old. He's just starting his public ministry, and he's got all of these people around him, called disciples a lot of times is what they would call themselves, but it's just lots of followers. Hundreds of them, sometimes there's thousands of people following Jesus. And what Jesus does is he realizes he's going to need some close friends, and he's going to need some people to carry on this ministry when he's gone. So Jesus pulls an all-nighter. I don't know when the last time you pulled an all-nighter was. Maybe you have to go back to junior high or high school or college or something like that. But Jesus pulls an all-nighter, and what the Bible says is that he prays all night long. When he wakes up the next morning, he calls all of these people, all of these followers to him, all of these disciples, and he picks just 12 of them, just 12 disciples, to be his inner circle. He handpicks these men who would see lame people walk. You got to get your mind around this section of Jesus' life and Judas' life. He handpicks these people who are going to see him calm storms and, and heal lepers. He handpicks, he chooses these people who are going to see him die, be buried in the grave, and then rise again to a new life. And I think one of the first lessons that we can learn from the life of Judas, it's actually pretty easy for us to apply to our lives, is this that it feels good to be chosen. It feels good to be chosen just for anything really in our lives, doesn't it? And I think it would be easy for us to overlook, but I don't, wanna, I don't want us to miss it, that the fact that Jesus chose Judas. He did not get into his inner circle by accident. Jesus chose him. He invited him in. And I guarantee you, Judas and those other 11, they were fired up to be traveling around and be close uh, to Jesus. And, and the reason is, is because for all of us, it feels good to be chosen. I remember back when I was in junior high school, seventh and eighth grade, my very best friend was named Greg. And Greg and I, for two years in junior high, we did the exact same thing every Friday night. Exact same thing. First of all, we'd spend the night at his house every Friday and then we'd do these three things. First of all, we would order a large Domino's cheese pizza every single Friday night. Secondly, we would prank call girls. Third, we would ride our mopeds all over the place. Every single Friday night, that's what we did. Saturday morning came, it was always the same rhythm again. Because Saturday morning, kids from all over the neighborhood would start showing up at Greg's house in his driveway. The reason is because Greg had one of those really cool basketball hoops, you know, that you could raise and lower. You could put it 8 foot or 10 foot or 9 foot. And so kids would start coming from all over to play basketball. And Greg was amazing at basketball, even in 7th or 8th grade. In fact, in the 7th grade, here's the way I remember him. He was about 6'9", and he had a full beard, right? I mean, he was huge, okay? It was like, that's how I remember Greg. And there's this other guy named Paul who was also really big and robust, and, and Greg was always a captain, and Paul was always a captain, but Greg always picked first because it was his driveway. And guess what? Every single morning for two years, no kidding, Greg chose me every morning with his first pick. And I didn't know why. Because I, I, I was not great at basketball. I was six foot nothing. I wasn't on your uh, fantasy, you know, Final Four basketball uh, team. I would take a shot sometimes. It would go completely over the backboard. And I just, I wasn't uh, great at it. In fact, I knew even at 12 years old, I knew enough to know, I was smart enough to know that I was a liability <laughs> to his basketball team. But he chose me. 
because he liked me. He wanted me on his team. And you know what I believe? I believe this law in my heart. It's the exact same way with Jesus and with Judas and with you and with me. Jesus has chosen you. He's chosen me because he likes us, because he wants us on his team in this life. It feels good to be chosen. I think that's the first thing we can find from the life of Judas, that he was chosen by Jesus. We've been chosen by Jesus to be his disciples and and to travel with him and learn from him and follow after God. And It's a pretty great similarity. Here's a second place that we can find with Judas, and that is at the cross and impatient. Uh, This scene here is Jesus and his disciples are at this meal. They're at a dinner party, actually, at a guy's house named Lazarus. Jesus and all of these 12 close friends. And, and while they're at this party, this woman named Mary, maybe you know some of this story, she cracks open this very expensive perfume. And then she starts to just pour the perfume all over Jesus' feet. And it's this amazing gesture. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. But what happens, the Bible says, is that Judas objects. When she starts doing this, Judas is like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Time out. In fact, we'll put this up on the screen, but I want to read it uh, from my Bible. John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? And the money given to the poor. I mean, it was worth a year's wages. And so put yourself in this situation. I really do think that part of Judas is sincere here. But we also know from other places in the New Testament uh, that Judas has also become like the treasurer or the CFO, if you will, for Jesus' ministry. And so whenever money comes in, he can kind of skim some of that off the top for himself. And so Mary, doing this, was actually taking money right out of that money bag that he could skim. And so we, there's no doubt that Judas is greedy. But most of us already know that. The thing that blows me away that I hadn't always realized and hadn't always thought about is what Matthew talks about. Matthew in the Bible shares this very same story. You can read it later on today if you want to. But he says that this is the place where Judas had finally had it. He gets upset with Jesus, he, he's, he's, he's impatient, he's not coming forward, he gets incredibly upset with him, and so Judas, right from this party, goes to the religious leaders, and this, right after this party, is when he makes the deal to betray Jesus. And another lesson I think we can pull out of the Judas' life and to apply to our lives is this, if you're writing things down somewhere, and that is that it's often hard to remain patient with Jesus. He doesn't always act like we want him to. God doesn't always act like we we want him to. In fact, I read an interesting article just a while back that said this, what if Judas' greatest sin was not just greed, but also impatience? I mean, mean, just what if, I know you've heard the story before, but just let your mind go there. What if, what if what led Judas to betray Jesus was not just greed, but also a healthy dose of impatience. I mean, put yourself in Judas' shoes. 
his sandals, if you will, around the cross. He'd been following Jesus around for three years now, and Judas believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So did all of his buddies. And, and the Jewish people had been waiting for the Messiah, right, for hundreds of years. And they knew the Messiah was going to bring in this military kingdom and, and this rule and was going to set everything straight. In fact, Judas and all his buddies, they believed the Messiah was going to bring them power and fame. And here's what I believe. I, I can't prove this, but I believe that Judas and these other 12 guys, they believed that when Jesus came into power, it was probably going to be some pretty good political cabinet positions for them as well. And when all this wasn't happening on Judas' timeline, he gets impatient. And I, I think he wants to bring him out into the open. And, and what we find is that Judas was maybe more committed to a cause than he actually was to Jesus Christ. He, he was actually more sold out to a movement, if you will, than he was the Messiah. And could it be could it be that the final sin and the final straw, if you will, that led Judas to betray Jesus was not just greed, but it was getting just completely frustrated and impatient with the timetable of God? When I start thinking about that and letting my mind go there, that thought startles me because this is when I begin to see a lot of myself in Judas. I, I don't want to burst your bubble about me, but I'll tell you this. I can get impatient. I can. I have stuff that I want done, and I usually know how I want the stuff done, right? I have a timetable, and I usually believe that my timetable is the best timetable. Anyone else kind of like me? Yeah, yeah, I feel that way. In fact, here's what I do. I'm going to tell you something about me. And just, just full disclosure, this is not something you should copy, Okay. Not something you should emulate in your life. But a lot of times when I get up in the morning and I have my quiet time with God, a little bit of journaling, a little bit of prayer time, a lot of times I use my morning prayer time with God as kind of like an early morning staff meeting with God. Okay? And what I do is when I get up and I start talking to God, I use that early morning time to make him aware of everything that's going on in the world, which is a terrible way to start with God, right? Because he's aware. And so I make him aware of what's going on in the world. I, I let God know everything that I'm doing today in my world, and I also let God know what I need him to do today in my world to keep things going, right? And I always usually say, I'm going to need to hear a yes, God, okay? This is what I'm going to do. And sometimes, here's what I do sometimes. I'm not saying that you should emulate this at all. Sometimes I treat God kind of like he's a minion, just helping me carry out, you know, my mission in the world. And I'm not proud of that, but that's how I act sometimes. And let me ask you this. Don't, don't raise your hand on this and don't poke or don't point at anybody. That would not be appropriate. <laughs> let me ask you this. Do you ever get impatient with God? You ever get impatient with Him? The parents, maybe you found yourself in that situation. Maybe you're thinking, you don't say this out loud, but you say it in a prayer to God. Okay, God, we've got our teenagers to church for three weeks now. We've got our son here to youth group. We've got our daughter here for three weeks now. We have been busting our tails to get them here. And God, I was under the impression, I was somehow under the impression that if we would get them here, that either God, you, or someone else around the church there was going to fix them, <laughs> right? And I haven't seen a lot of what I was hoping to see in my 17-year-old. And God, if you don't hurry up with this, I'm going to have to take things back into my own hands. I'm going to have to start to work on this kid on my own again, right? Or maybe you said, okay, God, 
we, we've been given back our resources. We took the challenge three or four months ago, and we've been given back our tithes and our offerings for the last three or four months. And God, I'm just going to be honest with you. Our finances, there's still not a lot going on. I don't see a lot of blessing. And so here's the thing, God, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not like throwing down an ultimatum here, but I'm just saying that if, if that, something doesn't start to change, we're going to have to take that 10% back. We're going to have to take those resources back because I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm going to have to do this on my own. You ever feel that way in your financial world? Or what about this? Okay, God, now I, I've been wanting to be married for a long time, God. You know that. I've been wanting to be married for like 10 years. And maybe you're single, you're male or, or female, and you're thinking, God, I've been being good. I've been being pure. I haven't been going out to all the bars and the clubs and things like that. But God, I, I, God, I need you to get me a spouse. If you don't hurry up, I'm going to give you like Easter. I'll give you till late spring. I'm going to give you till late spring. But if you don't find me a spouse, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, like, here's what I'll do. I'm going to like buy a ticket to a country western show and I'm going to get a woman. Okay, I'm going to get a woman. I'm going to get a man. I don't know why. Country western. It just comes, it just comes to my mind. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get a ticket and I'm going to find a man. I'm going to find a woman. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take things back into my own hands, right? That, that's the way we feel sometimes. And another lesson that we can learn from the life of Judas in our lives is this. When the patience runs out, watch out. When the patience runs out, watch out, because that's when so much damage can be done in our lives. Yeah, I think Judas was greedy, no doubt about it, but I also think he was just incredibly impatient. He was more committed to the cause than he was to Jesus Christ. And again, the lesson for us today, Parkview, is this. Be patient with the timetable of God. Whether you're 14 years old or 24 or 44 or 74 or 84, be patient with the timetable of God. And just because you can't see God working in your life doesn't mean God's not working in your life. Amen? He can still be working in your kids, your finances, your future, all that, even if you can't see him working. Be patient with the timetable of God. Here's the third scene. The third place we can jump into the life of Judas, at the cross in betrayal. This is the scene of the Last Supper. You've probably seen this in a movie or in the painting or something like that. Jesus and his 12 disciples we've been talking about, these guys that he handpicked, they're all sitting around him at this table in this quiet upper room, probably candles or something like that. And the Bible says when they're up there, Jesus speaks up and he says this, hey, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And the Bible says when he says that, the disciples don't know what he's talking about. They're kind of at a loss. They're looking around like, who in the world, what? What's he talking about? In fact, one of the guys named Peter, you can see this in the Bible, one of the guys named Peter talks to this guy named John. John is sitting right beside Jesus. And, and so Peter tries to get John's attention. I don't know exactly how this happened, but here's how I kind of picture it in my mind. Uh, Peter kind of gets his attention and says, hey, he kind of whispers. He says, hey, John, ask Jesus which person he's talking about. <laughs> Who's he talking about? I, th I don't know that's exactly how it happened, but I, can't, I think that's kind of how it happened. And, and Jesus responds, and, and here's Jesus' response in John chapter 13. Jesus responded, is the one to whom I give the bread that I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. 
Iscariot. Take just a moment, Parkview, and, and watch this short clip of how this whole scene may have gone down some 2,000 years ago in the upper room. But now I must tell you that one of you here will betray me. Who? this I will not I will not betray you Let him go. I think the thing that is so amazing to me about that scene and that moment is that they're just hours away from Jesus being betrayed. But yet no one in the room really knows that Judas will be the betrayer. That astounds me. Jesus literally says, he says, listen, one of you is going to betray me. And the Bible says the disciples were kind of at a loss. When Jesus said that, they didn't all immediately point to Judas at the table and go, ah, Judas, we knew it. We knew it, you dog. Dog, we knew it. No, that's not what they did. Judas didn't stand out. He wasn't peculiar. In fact, J Judas, I mean, he was accepted, he was trusted, he, he was part of the gang, he, he was involved, he was apparently on board. And that leads me to another truth that I think we can apply to our lives today. And this is one of the most sobering truths that I think we could even apply from a, a, a story in a season like this. This may be one of the most sobering truths that over the last several years of being a part of this place and teaching and preaching and leading that I've ever brought to us. It's this, it's this truth that we really have to let settle into our lives. Check this out. It's possible to just pretend to be Jesus' friend. Even for us, we too can just pretend to be Jesus' friend. We can pretend to be a disciple. Here's how this plays out. On a typical weekend, thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to Parkview all around Chicagoland, all of our campuses. And when we come to Parkview, a lot of times we do a lot what the disciples did, even in that upper room. We take a little bit of bread today. We take a little bit of juice. We have a time of communion. We remember that last supper. We remember Jesus and what he did on the cross. And sometimes, not all the time, not all the time, but sometimes... We do this with the knowledge that later on today or tomorrow, we could be turning our backs on Jesus. What I'm saying is that some of you, even some of you sitting here right now, guess what? You already have sin on the calendar. You already have sin on the calendar. You already know where and when. Later today or tomorrow or next week, you could be turning your back on Jesus. And here's what I want to say to you. Here's why I believe God has just put this so deeply in my heart. I just want to say to you, listen, with every ounce of persuasive power that the Holy Spirit gives me, you can decide today 
to erase that future sin off of your calendar. Amen? I mean, you haven't done it yet, right? So, so don't do it. Just make a decision today that you're not going to turn your back on Jesus. You're not going to fall back in to that same old sin that keeps tripping you up. You know what I think? I think this is true for you and I think it's true for me. The thing that makes so many of us feel guilty in our lives is not the sin that we committed before we became a Christian. It's the sin we continue to commit after we become a Christian. Isn't that true? It's like, why do I do that? And why do I keep falling into that and turning my back and doing my own thing? Here's the way Paul says this in the Bible in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. A translation from Paul, what do you do when you do what you don't want to do? Which is something we're all going to do. right? What do you do? I mean, seriously, where do we go with this? How do we go into a new week and lead and live life and... How's that happen? Let me give you two things as we pull this all together today. Two pieces of counsel. Again, right from the story that we're studying at the cross. Two pieces of counsel. First of all, don't follow Judas' example. Judas turns his back, walks away from Jesus, has been a part of the group, but then he gets depressed, he gets filled with regret and shame, and he ends up taking his own life. Take a look at this in Scripture in Matthew chapter 27. So Judas threw the money. They'd given him money to betray Jesus, threw it at the temple, and he left, and he went away, and he hanged himself. And I know this is incredibly sober, and this is not easy to talk about. We don't hear a lot about people taking their lives in the Bible and that sort of thing, but in this world that we live in today, we hear about it a lot. And I could just, I could skip over this easily. And I've thought about it this week as I'm preparing. I'm like, you know, we'll just skip this part because it's just awful and it's bad. But I just feel God saying to me, Todd, listen, you can't skip this. There's people at Parkview who God loves, who I love, people who you love. There may be some of you sitting here right now and you feel like you've turned your back on God on any one of our campuses and you feel depressed and you feel like God is a million miles away. And you've contemplated taking your own life. And if you have ever been there, if you're there now, I just want to say this to you. Listen, that is never the answer. Suicide is never the answer. And I want you to know that there are people around all Parkview today, all campuses who would love to talk with you and spend time with you and care with you. You have people who brought you. If you want to call in this week to the church or email into the church, there's people who will come alongside you and walk with you. And I want you to know this. If you've ever felt that way, if you're feeling that way right now, I want you to know that there is always hope and there is always help in Jesus Christ. Amen? There just always, always is. And if you're there, I would say this. Please, 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 don't follow Judas' example. He turned his back on Jesus and ended up taking his life. Do not follow Judas' example, but do this. Instead, follow Peter's example. We haven't talked much about Peter today, but Peter could also be a villain. We're kind of talking about some of the villains today. We, we know Peter mainly as this really good guy, but around the cross, remember what he did? He denied Jesus three times. I mean, he was kind of a villain. He denied Jesus 
three times. And when he had denied Jesus the third time, he heard this sound right here. Right? Remember that in the Bible? He heard the rooster crow when he denied Jesus for the third time. And there's no doubt in my mind that Peter, just like Judas, was full of regret. He was full of shame. How could I do that? I was just with him in the upper room. I was just, I love Jesus so much, but here I did. I went and turned my back on him. I did my own thing. I guarantee you. But instead of taking his life, Peter decided to change his life. And it wasn't easy for Peter to do that. And it won't be easy for you to change your life. I know that. Sometimes it's hard to get past your past. But it's worth the try. It's worth the effort through a church like this and through Jesus and through people who love you. You can do this. Peter did this. But but think about Peter. It wasn't easy for him. the, The part of the world that Peter lived in, he would have heard animals and stuff in that first century. He would have heard the rooster crow every single morning he woke up. For the rest of his life, he was going to hear that, right? That was me, not the sound effect. That was just Todd, okay? He would have heard that every single day, reminding him every morning when he woke up of who he had been and how he had turned his back on Jesus. And you know what I believe? I believe that some of you around here, you wake up every single morning with kind of the sound of a rooster reminding you of your past. You wake up with this rooster crow, this voice condemning you, saying things like, you know what, who are you to try and be new today? You're not going to be new today. You're the same old person you were yesterday. You know what, you're not, you're not smart enough. You're not smart enough to do what you're doing. You're not, you're not perfect enough. You're not pretty enough. You're just an addict. You think you're going to be clean. You think you're going to live clean. You're not. You're, just, you're an addict. You're a drug addict. You're an alcoholic. You're a liar. You're just a liar. You just lie all the time. You hear the rooster crow. You're a thief. You're you're a quitter. You're a cheater. You hear the rooster crow. And and you know what? I just feel like God has called me here to say this weekend to so many of you. Here's here's what I feel like God is saying. Some of you, not, not all of you, but some of you, here's what you need to do. This weekend, you need to silence the roosters. You need to make a decision to silence the roosters from your past. You need to make a decision today that what you have been in the past is not going to determine your future. Amen? Amen. Silence those roosters. Just a while back, I read the story by this guy named Booker T. Washington. And Booker T. and his family, all of them were slaves in the United States of America. And Booker T. talks about how they would hear that sound of that rooster every morning and it would wake them up. And he talks about how his family came to despise the sound of a rooster. Because what it did is every single morning it would wake them up and remind them that they were slaves. It would remind them that they had a full day of back-breaking work out in the fields. And Booker T says, you know what, me and my family, we hated the crow of the rooster. We hated it. But then he goes on to say what happened one day. One day, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed into effect 
by this guy named Abraham Lincoln. And when he signed that into effect, all of the slaves were set free. And he said, even the next morning after the Emancipation Proclamation, me and my family, guess what we did? We woke up to the sound of the rooster. But the reason the rooster was crowing on that morning, he says, is because his mom was chasing it around the yard with an axe. Right? Isn't that good? And he says, you know what? That day we killed our alarm clock and we ate it for lunch. And then he goes on to say this. This is so good. He says, for some of you, he says, sometimes, sometimes your first step toward freedom is to silence the roosters. And that's what some of you need to do. You need to silence some of those roosters from your past. Here's the next step for you this weekend. Which rooster from your past do you need to silence today? One of the great ways to do that is by giving your life to Jesus Christ, being baptized into him. You know what baptism pictures, right? It pictures you standing in the water and then you're plunged down into the water. You plunge your past and you come up to a new life. Some of you need to plunge your past. Next weekend around Parkview, we're going to have a huge baptism service. If you would want to be baptized, you can just bring clothes on any of the campuses. We will be there with you. We will plunge your past. We will put those roosters to rest, and you will raise again to a new life. You could do that even this next weekend. You can make that decision to be baptized and plunge that. And here's what I know. Here's what I know is going to happen. Today, as you walk out of this service, here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear roosters. Maybe even when you get in your car, you're going to have the evil ones going to be saying to you, yeah, that was really good, and you really got into that message, but they're going to, the evil one's going to start reminding you of who you are, even on your car on the way home. The devil is going to start reminding you of your past. And when he reminds you of your past, you know what you do? You remind him of his future. You remind him of his future and what's going to happen with him. And you remind him that you have been emancipated by the proclamation and by the actions of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you have been forgiven. And you are free. Yes.